Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, but I'd rather be the God of Hammers. <laughs> Today, we're talking about Minute 98, which begins with Steve entering the sick bay and ends with Hill revealing the actual location of Coulson's cards. Back on the show, sadly for the last time this season, it's playwright Dean O'Carroll. Hello, Dean. Hey, yes, it is. It is. Uh, it is sad to say goodbye, but uh, what a cool moment of uh, uh, of lock and load that I, I get to go out on. Um, no kidding. To go, yeah, the, uh, the the beginning of the third act of this movie. It's uh, uh, it's nice to uh, nice to be here for this. And sassy, sassy Maria Hill too. You feel like <laughs> she's she's digging a little bit, just digging. <sighs> This part is kind of consolation because um, Tig had wanted her to be Wonder Woman, right? When he was uh, going to be doing a Wonder Woman movie, I think he was her. Uh, he was she was uh, his I- ideal casting for it. So this this part is sort of like the the closest he could get for it. It seems like interesting. I hadn't heard that. That would have been interesting. I actually, yeah, I hadn't heard that. That that would have been an interesting twist. Yeah, certainly. We'll talk about her more uh, toward the end of this minute when she uh, we have the moment between her and Fury. Let's start. We're in the sick bay. Steve is coming in to get Natasha, and we find out that Clint is back on their side. Uh, I guess this is the first official meeting of Steve and uh, and Clint Barton at this particular point in the film. Although it's not much of a meeting, it's just a, it's kind of the typical. Uh, Steve reaction where he just kind of nods and t- says, got a suit, then suit up. You know, it's like, <laughs> no. all right, you're good to go. If she's good with you, I'm good with you. That's pretty much what we get. That's something I, I love about Steve is that he's, you know, he's, he's so practical and that he's, you know, he's he's game to give people these chances. I, I mean, I, I love the contrast between when he first meets Bruce Banner uh, and says, you know, I, I hear you're the guys who help us find this thing. And that's all you hear. Like, that's all that matters. Yeah. Instantly about putting him at ease and, you know, and, and making sure he feels valuable versus Tony's, you know, starts off with, you know, you know, fussing over him, but then needs to get the, get the upper hand by saying like, also, oh, love how you turn into a giant green rage monster, you know, also needs <laughs> to say like, I also know your weakness. So, you know, don't, uh, uh, you know, that's, you know, always needs to you know, keep that distance between himself and people. And, uh, you know, Steve, you know, Steve is all about, you know, making people, feel, you know, valued and, and, you know, and Tony's all about making people, you know, understand their, their boundaries. Right. Yeah. Great point. In the start of this minute, uh, when, when Steve walks in and, and looks at Natasha says, time to go, she says, go where? And then he says this, I'll tell you on the way, can you fly one of those jets? And it just makes me wonder, did he get hit on the head? Cause wasn't she flying to Stuttgart, like a whole flight back and forth where she was sitting up there. Now, I know there's another pilot and maybe she's kind of co-piloting it or the gunner. I'm not exactly sure, but she sure seemed like she she had her hands on the wheel and everything. So it just just listening to your episode where you're discussing this. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. it's so strange. I'm like, why problematic? (laughs) Like, why is this written this way? And it's purely to get Barton coming out of the bathroom saying, I can. Yeah. And like, that's his introduction. And I'm like, God, they really could have figured this out better because we already saw her flying one of these with Steve in it. It just, it strikes me as funny that that's the way that they decided to craft this. So I'm going to give you a generous read. <laughs> oh, Are you ready? Please. <laughs> Are you ready? Um, the generous read is that Steve is assuming that they'll need to get there in a Quinjet 
but that Black Widow will be with him in the fight, and someone will need to essentially. Then why is he asking the... her if she can fly it? <laughs> trying, man. I'm trying. Give me well, maybe a generous he knows that her leg too. is hurt. Maybe, maybe yeah. he's worried that she won't be able to operate the pedals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Okay, that's fine. It's stupid. I know. I know. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but it's a, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But this this does kick off our montage. It does, and I, you know, I just I really wanted him to say when got a suit, and he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh, is it going to be a purple suit?" Oh, no, <laughs> it's not. It's just it's just black. He's just basically put some leathers on just so he can look yeah. like the rest of the Shield team. <laughs> But yes, we do get the montage. This is, uh, we're getting uh, a whole bunch of things. Starting with Thor. We see Thor grabbing Mjolnir from the field, and then uh, he'll be summoning lightning. Cap gets his shield. Hawkeye gets his quiver. And uh, Natasha, this is this moment where we get to see her prepping what they call the Black Widow's Bite. This is the electroshock weapon used. We kind of saw a version of this with, I think it had the bracelets in uh, Iron Man 2, but this is essentially her weapon that she and all the other people from the Red Room use. Um, it's It functions, uh, the weapon functions, has two shaped bracelets worn by the user. They can deliver powerful ele- electrical discharges. Each bracelet is marked with blue lights from electrical capacitors and electrical wiring that appear when activated and allows their wielder to electrocute enemies by making contact with a pair of electrical probes. We have never seen it this close up, right? Am I forgetting something i don't think we've ever seen a suit up view of the bite i don't think in iron man 2 that they're because this is very much a everybody's getting their weapons montage yeah. as you're saying and so I, I just if they if she was using it in this capacity i don't think it was demonstrated as effectively as we have it here yeah yeah and, and i love it i actually really love it because it's sort of even though and let's just real talk this little electrodes thing and the quiver of arrows doesn't quite level up with the Iron Man welding suit <laughs> yes, and yeah. the shield <laughs> and the, the hammer conjuring lightning from the sky. Like, there's just, it's not quite there, but it does feel like it's attempting to put all of these characters on the same, uh, on the same playing field, that they deserve to be in the same jet together that they're about yeah. to get on, that they, that they get the, the A-team walk together and that, that, that should, that should mean something. You always want things to be equivalent. I remember when my kids were little, they were playing with toys, and one of them had a um, an Obi-Wan Kenobi action figure, and the other one had uh, Rex the Dinosaur from Toy Story. And I heard them say, you know, and Obi-Wan turns on his lightsaber, and the other kid says, and Rex turns on his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it is, it is a, a bit of that. Boy, I remember there was a comics event in the late 80s, early 90s called Acts of Vengeance, which was like, you know, the bunch of villains team up to sort of you know, mix and match and take on heroes they'd never fought before. And there's a promotional image of the villains just standing over, like, you know, the, the destroyed tools of the heroes. So it was like, you know, Cap's shield and then Mjolnir and so on. At the time, they were trying to promote the character of Quasar. And so Quasar's, you know, uh, uh, armbands were also in the pile of, like, destroyed you know, weapons. It's like, it's, no, I'm sorry. That's just not, that's not an icon. I know you want it to be. <laughs> not but an icon. <laughs> Quasar wants it to be. Yeah, so bad. Quasar, Quasar probably put them there. Yes. <laughs> Quasar, we'll be seeing him in in, uh, in Phase 7, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
somewhere down the road. Yeah, oh, listener, gosh. don't go do your homework on Quasar yet. <laughs> He's not without his charms, but yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, so yeah, everybody's getting ready. Uh, Tony is fixing his mask, which is, I guess, nice to see because <laughs> last time he was wearing it is when he's kind of rolling around in the turbines. And it, like, does he really, I mean, is anything happened to this guy? It's nice to see. Okay, well, at least he does have to do a little bit of work with his mask to get it up and running. And he, and he does sport the, the nice bruise on his cheek. So clearly they're trying to demonstrate, even though he's in this suit of armor, there are still things that can injure him. Yeah, like his neck should have been broken, but it's fine. Um, His arms are off. Yeah, yeah, right. It's fine. Um, (laughs) He does. He's using like a he's he's welding something, but it also looks like it's like a Dremel tool causing the sparks to come up. And also then the lights in the eyes turn on, which I always think is strange. What what sort of mechanical wizardry is he imparting on the helmet to make all of those things happen together? I don't know, but it looks cool. And I like the the crash into it, like the sort of tilt push into um, into him working in full montage mode. Yeah. And and the depth of field is nice and shallow. So as we push in, yeah, the the mask uh, comes into focus and Tony goes a little soft. Also, right as the lights turn on. Yeah. Also, this uh, montage is possibly other than the bridge, the busiest we have ever seen the helicarrier. It's yes. like through the entire fight. It's never been populated like everyone went and hid in their in their, um, you know, rooms massive quarters or, or yeah. something. Yeah. But this is the first time it's like, wow. Okay. I mean, all Tony is doing is doing a little bit of light welding on his, on his mask, but there's, you know, easily, uh, you know, half dozen people cutting in and out from front and behind of him. And so, you know, there's uh, actually now, now that I look, it's only three. So half of a half a dozen. <laughs> so a little less than I thought, but that's the magic of the movies. It felt like so many more. It felt like so many. Well, and when we get the, uh, you know, the the power team walk across the hangar, the hangar is very busy, and there's actually someone on the Quinjet. Yeah, which those things are never occupied. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that Steve calls him son. I know and it's like you know. Like first of all, I mean, I I, I was trying to do the math earlier. Steve, Steve is you know nominally ninety four years old, but he's also actually. 27. Right. Calling anybody son when you're 27 is a little ridiculous. It does imply that Steve feels older than he is, which is so strange to me because really, was he conscious of all those years in the ice? I don't think so. It's a... It's a it's a line that does kind of bug me because it's like, are they trying to make him act like an old man, like he is from the 40s? Because it just makes him seem like he's really old as opposed to from a different time. Like yeah. nobody in the 40s who was in their 20s was walking around calling people son. As far as you know. I mean, were you there? Uh, well, as no, far as I know, were there. Unless, unless it was a kid, like a little kid, or maybe their own son. Son. Yes. Yeah. Look, stop lying. Everything you learned about the 40s, you learned from Captain America. All so. right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the line is always like, you know, you, people who served World War II grew up really fast and like, well, okay, yeah. And I certainly won't say like, <laughs> claim that I could possibly comprehend what they went through. Um, but yes, it, I, it, it still abuses me as a moment. I'm trying to remember if. Um, Tommy Lee Jones ever said that to Steve at any point oh, in the film. Possible, it's entirely yeah. possible that he, oh, he's, I, I learned it from watching you sort of situation. Yeah. Where, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I guess maybe that's where we'll leave it. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's like in, um, 
uh, Star Trek Generations, uh, where you know Kirk at one point says, "Oh, well, saving the universe when your grandfather was in diapers." Like, well, yeah, but biologically, you're only like maybe ten or fifteen years yeah. older. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Thor, meanwhile, is by himself in this field. He's he's uh, really conjuring quite a, a series of dark clouds and swirling around him. And uh, the lightning starts shooting down from the skies. I am amazed that this field does not uh, set uh, ablaze because there's so much lightning coming down as Thor summons it. Um, it's, it's a lot. Um, it looks great though. I love the look of it and I love that Thor's doing this. My question though, um, unless either of you want to talk about kind of the look of everything going on with Thor in the field, but how does Thor know where he's going? Uh, he's got a sense of direction like a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? He's just always, he's like a compass. Yeah. <laughs> he, only North and South. So he just <laughs> has to hope that he <laughs> knows to go. Uh, yeah. Just a little bit, a little bit South. He's going to be fine. Mm. Yeah, it would be nice if, like, we'd seen those ravens again. Now, maybe they could have, uh, <laughs> right. you know, just just blurring, you know, just to you know, see them. Uh, yeah, which which I, which I had never noticed before until I heard uh, you guys mention them on your show, and I did notice them when I was rewatching uh, to prepare for this. So that would actually that would be great to see Hoonan and Moonan like come in and like fly to guide him there or something. That would yeah, have actually yeah. been a cool little uh, beat. Although a lot of people would probably you know who weren't hadn't read the comics would be like what is up with him following birds around <laughs> great odin's raven like uh like yeah. uh, uh, uh anchorman says uh, yeah right it's yeah. it's a thing it's a thing i i would something that i think could work they they don't show it and it would make sense i just don't know why they don't show it i mean sure thor is on the ground down here and stuff but i would think that the helicarrier it's not cloaked at this particular point it's been attacked and it's kind of smoking i would think that thor could potentially just look up into the sky and see oh hey there's a smoking aircraft up there i'm going to swing my hammer that direction and head up to it so i would think that that would be a very easy way to kind of uh, kind of get back to the team. I can't imagine that they've flown that far away from where he fell. Where? Yeah, I I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like it, it, the the idea that he doesn't like, how does he know how to do? How does he know how to direct himself to anywhere? Like somehow he found the the Quinjet in flight when yeah, they were carrying right. Loki around. Like I, I maybe I give him more credit than that. It's I, Thor's well, intuitive sense of direction. Yeah, Just we'll really we'll see good. when he uh, makes his way to. Does yeah. Thor go to the helicarrier, or does he go straight to Manhattan? He goes to Manhattan. I'm just saying that I, I would think that if he's trying to get back with his team, that he could say, hey, there's the helicarrier up there, because it's that smoking thing up in the sky, and and go there, and then go, oh, hey, they're in Manhattan. All right, I'll go there. Um, I, I think that there are ways that they could have crafted it where I, I could have you know figured out how he got there. But as it stands, it's like, you know, he's going to disappear, and then he's going to appear on the roof of Stark Tower. It's like, oh. Mm -hmm. How did you even know where Stark Tower was? Yeah, like, it, you know, he, he of all of them knows the least about where things are and what's going on. But that's, I guess, the way that uh, that he works. <laughs> I don't, sometimes <laughs> I, he just shows up. In the complete dark. <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right. Are you not the god of compasses? <laughs> Everybody else has an earpiece in because they're all able to communicate during the battle by radio. Do we get any evidence that Thor has an earpiece that he's uh, that he's wired in uh, during the battle? I mean, Hulk presumably is not because how could he be? But 
that's a great question. I'm trying to remember now if somebody tells him to head back somewhere. I feel like he has to be like, so I don't know. That's a great question. I, I, maybe they all do have their, their headpieces in their earpieces in and are communicating that way. It's just, it's one of those things that we don't, we just kind of assume until the point where they actually start talking to each other through it. So even Bruce, it's like, you know, uh, you know, although that's a good question is Hulk's ear canal. I would assume that it gets bigger. So if he had an earpiece in as Bruce and then hulked out, that it would just fall out. It would I, fall into his head. It would just sink in. It just gets lost in his in his ear canal. <laughs> Who knew this is where we would go? Here? Biologically, earpieces are problematic. Yeah. For years, people have talked about you know how to Hulk's pants stay on, but you really you want a smaller yes. thing. Yeah, yeah. What it's about a much exactly. smaller thing. <laughs> Uh, well, we do get the, the hero walk, as you said, Pete, we get, although it's not all of them. I don't know why Iron Man doesn't show up for this. We see him, we see his HUD, he's get his, he gets his mask working and his HUD's back up and running, but we just get Captain America, Black Widow and Hawkeye in kind of the hero walk through the, uh, the, the hangar, the air deck as they're walking to the Quinjet. And it looks, I mean, it looks cool. I really like this. I, but it is one of those moments where I, I, if Iron Man is here, why is he not here? Does that strike either of you? Well, or? I, it, it, I think about it only because, like, why? It, it would be weird if you give the hero walk and have both Tony and Steve. Where do you put them? There is no appropriate triangle that makes this look as cool, right? Although, well, you could have four of them in a row, and then Tony and and Steve could be on the ends, and it could instead of the triangle walk that we have here, it could just be the the power walk of the four of them. Which I mean, you've seen that plenty of times too. It's it's the slow mo walk of everybody kind of walking toward the camera, and I think it could still work as a, as a foursome. It's on RuPaul's Drag Race every week. <laughs> which one looks better, though? <laughs> <laughs> probably probably that one. <laughs> I just think the uh the the characters who are imbued with the power of flight are okay not boarding the Quinjet. I think that's the more practical reason. Uh, well, yeah, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's just it's one of these moments. And obviously, I guess they're saving the hero moment for later when they're all mm -hmm. in New York together, but still yes. it is one of those moments. Yeah. So yeah, we get these three boarding the Quinjet, and this is where we run into this uh, conundrum that we keep running into, Pete, of people that we have identified with the IMDb game as one character, and then go, oh no, I think this is actually who you are. Oh dear. We talked about the maintenance guy back when Natasha uh, falls uh, through, and and Bruce is starting to hulk out, and those two maintenance men run over to her, and one of them says, are you okay? And then she kind of like shoes them away to protect them. We talked about our maintenance guy in that particular scene, uh, thinking that this was Josh Cowdery, maintenance guy, who was, in fact, one of the two who was um, shooed away by Black Widow. But now that I see this, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I think this is actually Josh Cowdery, our maintenance guy. And I think this is his moment in the spotlight. It's possible he did both, but this is, I'm pretty sure when you look at his face and you check him on IMDb, I'm like, oh, no, no. Yeah, I think this is him. Yet again, you're not you're not going to make us play the IMDb. Oh, again, no, no. Again, we already did it. I'm not going to. Okay. No, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I, Andy, I just want to assure you 
I'll fail again <laughs> just for me. Like, it's not like I committed these things to, to memory from that one time we played like 70 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I, I would uh, be amazed if you could remember anything. And this, and he is one of them where the Avengers is not. That was what I was going to say. Is he the one who's going to sandbag and not get a top four on the on the Avengers? I, so I would have gotten that. I can't tell you a single one yeah. of the others. Honestly, it's possible as I look at him. I'm like, maybe this isn't Josh Cowdery. Like, <laughs> I guess I, I'm starting to lose real my mind with some of these people. You're I'm like, is this him? Is this not him? I don't know. Josh, <laughs> contact us. We'll have you on the show and we can sort this whole thing out. Man. Oh, my gosh. But uh, but Wouldn't it is it be great if it was Josh playing the role of every other S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and we, it was just <laughs> like the ultimate troll. He's just a CG duplication in every role. <laughs> That's Josh Cowdery. Uh, that, then we're really getting into the uh, uh, the um, the world of scrolls and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a scroll. Yeah. Deep Roy in the Willy Wonka remake. Yeah. Right. Oh, my right. gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we end this minute. We come back into the bridge, and we're at the uh, the air deck. This is the the giant window in the floor. I don't know why anyone would stand on a giant window in the floor of a giant uh, aircraft in the sky, particularly one that has been attacked recently and has holes all over the place. Like, yeah, go stand on the window that just opens to the ground below you. That's really smart. Anyway, it does make Samuel L. Jackson look extra cool as he's standing on this uh, this glass looking at the playing cards. And this is the conversation we have between him and Maria Hill about these cards. Uh, we're starting it. We don't get the full conversation. We just get her coming up, revealing that they were actually in Colson's locker, not in the jacket. Um, I, you've you've heard some of the back episodes. Have you heard us talking about uh, Maria Hill and kind of all of the deleted scenes with her, Dean? Yeah, I, I have heard some talk about that, and I, I had watched those, and my first thought was like, "Oh, I'm glad they deleted these." That this 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 whole wrinkle of of anyone yeah. feeling that like the Avengers was a bad idea, or this was a mistake, or somehow they had you know uh, they had you know caused more trouble than they were worth, or something that that rang very false to me. But probably just because you know I had seen the movie as it was presented, and so it, and it seemed to contradict sure. that. We talked about how, you know, Phil Coulson was our POV character before uh, before he died, and that sort of makes her, wants to make her be the POV character. Um, but we'd seen Phil in, you know, three movies by by this point, so we, uh, uh, we and she was new to us. So, yeah, I, I think ultimately it was uh, it, it was good that they didn't use uh, uh, those moments. But, yes, I, I do see the flip side of that is that then there's lots of moments that sort of feed into that that are sort of orphans now. Well, that's what's interesting about this scene. And again, we're only getting the very, very start of this particular conversation about the cards and kind of uh, Fury's motivations and stuff. But and Pete, you and I will be able to talk about this as kind of this conversation continues. But it does make me wonder, like, how does this play thinking that there is this angle of Maria Hill not like trying to figure out what Fury was up to, but actually like doubting his decisions to do this and thinking that there were better ways? Um, it makes for, I don't know, I suppose this would be one of those scenes where it could play in a really interesting way between these two characters. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I, I think it's, it. I, I 
can't see these moments between Hill and Fury anymore without just a little bit of remorse that we don't get to see a more fleshed out relationship with them that includes some of the negativity, some of the acrimonious uh, sort of bad blood between them that we get to see in that deleted scene. I And this is one of those where this feels so much like a, a potential betrayal from her, right? That, you know, and we get to see who was she closer to in the triad of Fury, Coulson and Hill. She's is she team Colson? Is that her? Is this fueled by her uh, grief over losing this colleague and friend? I, you know, they're in they're kind of lurking in the background of so many scenes that we've talked about. Right. So many set pieces. They're always there kind of together roving around. And, um, uh, you know, even though they don't have a real substantive on screen relationship together, it does feel like she, Hill and Colson are kind of. A team being able to manipulate people only works if they don't know they're being manipulated. So Maria, you know, by calling him out on you know saying, "Hey, I know what you're doing. I know you're manipulating uh, uh, these superheroes that we've befriended." Um, you know, I you know, I, I, I'm on to you. Don't ever try anything like this with me. Is probably an aspect of it. Um, yeah. Uh, also, there's the practical question: like, so is it really blood? On the cards, is it yeah. is it really Colson's blood? I mean, yeah, right. I, that that's that's pretty hardcore. If he went and just you know like dip the cards, in the, open wounds on his corpse, that would be uh, pretty grim. Uh, that's you know. really gross. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially because they'd have to roll him over to his back to. <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. It's Galaga guy. He's actually Fury's blood boy. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, dark that places happened. that were going. There. Yeah, <laughs> I also like the idea of Fury just like you know opening up like a paint set <laughs> and like okay, what's the right way to use? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely an interesting conversation. We'll we'll be talking about it more in the coming weeks or the coming days as we kind of continue the conversation between the two of them. And really, I mean, this leads into so much of. Uh, you know, what we've been talking about, Pete, as far as like this, this position of shield, uh, kind of leading down this road of fascism and fury making these decisions to lie to his team to get them to do what he wants and, and, and to see things certain ways and, and push them certain directions. And I think it's, uh, when you're watching the movie, you can understand some of that motivation, but it's pretty dark when you really start kind of piecing it together and pulling it apart. Yeah. Stark, manipulative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this minute. So, Dean, uh, you know, something that uh, since this is the end of our conversations with you, what's your sense of the Avengers films as a whole? Do you have a like if you were kind of ranking just the four Avengers films, is there a particular order that you would put them in preferential order? Yes, I think so. Um, and I really I, I do love all of them. The only quibble would be whether this is second or Infinity War is second. That uh, Endgame is just the be all end all for me. I could I could watch uh, you know on your left through Avengers Assemble you know once a week and and you know and, and never get tired of it. And uh, and then so either this or Infinity War, both of which I, I love, are are, are are second. And Age of Ultron, I know that's generally thought of as lesser, but I there's so many things that I enjoy about it. Um, you know, I, I, I so love the, the increased, the, the, the evolving character dynamics. I, I, I love the, uh, the new characters. I love James Spader, of course. 
So yeah, so they're, um, I mean, <laughs> uh, debatably the best Avengers movie is Captain America Civil War, uh, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, um, which is, I mean, <laughs> this is, you know, this one is an Avengers movie starring Iron Man, and that one is an Avengers movie starring Captain America, basically. Yeah, right, um, right. <laughs> but uh yeah no i i i i uh, i'm 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 all in on uh on these uh this uh uh yes i i know i expressed my uh distaste for rogers the musical <laughs> but uh you know but if it, that's where you draw the line fine that's right. <laughs> <laughs> everything else in the hawkeye show i love you know so yeah, yeah i'm uh, right. uh no, i'm 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 all in on on these uh they they make me feel like a kid again and uh what more can you ask of a uh, of a movie fantastic well, tell everybody one last time about your plays, where they can find them, and uh, all that good stuff. Yes, please. So I, uh, I'm, I'm the author of a lot of plays uh, that are staged by high school and middle school drama clubs. But, you know, community theaters can do them, summer camps, anybody who wants to have a good time. If you want to do a parody of The Avengers, which has uh, uh, characters in it with names like Ironica and Cinderella Liberty and Thorm uh, and uh, Smash whose real name is Dr. Burkle, and he talked like Urkel, um, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, Brown Recluse and uh, Bo Just battling uh, Yoki and, uh, and Thanacopita, uh, then, you know, the, <laughs> then, you know, please uh, head on over and check out Marvelous Squad at, uh, at playscripts.com, along with some of my other uh, uh, parodies there. Uh, they're lots of fun and, uh, and, and, and done with love. I, uh, I, I have no desire to viciously attack things uh, with, uh, with my artwork. It's, uh, just you know, a, a little gentle ribbing um, to uh, as, as tribute. Wonderful, that's fantastic. Well, we'll have the links in the show notes so you can check those out there, everybody, along with all of Dean's other uh, places online. So check that out. Uh, you can learn more about what we're up to at MarvelMovieMinute.com. And that's it. We'll be back with another guest tomorrow for Minute Ninety Nine. We're hitting almost the century mark. Uh, we'll be there soon. So, uh, Pete, thanks as always. I wonder tomorrow, Andy, if we're going to reevaluate the volume of an unburdened Skarsgård. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>